This is JCU Conversations, a podcast show from James Cook University, Singapore. Tune in as we ask experts in the industry more about their lives and their approach to success. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's listen to today's episode. Hi, I'm Andrew Chu, Chief Commercial Officer at James Cook University in Singapore, and your host for this episode of JCU Conversations. Our guest today is the Honourable Will Hodgman. Will has had a distinguished political career in Australia and served as a Premier of Tasmania for almost six years prior to his appointment as Australia's High Commissioner to Singapore from early 2021 to February 2023. As Premier of Tasmania, Will was instrumental in enabling Tasmania to become the first Australian jurisdiction to achieve net zero emissions. During Will's time as High Commissioner, Australia signed a Green Economy Agreement and Digital Economy Agreement with Singapore. Following his work in government, he's now a consultant, providing strategic advice to businesses, particularly those active in the digital and green economy sectors. This includes a new role as strategic advisor to Trovio Group, which is a leading technology solutions architect supporting the transition to net zero and which has offices in Australia and Singapore. Welcome, Will, and thank you for your time today. So, so shall we get started? Yes, yeah, certainly, Andrew. Thank you yeah. very much. Delighted to join you and our listeners. Yeah, thanks so much, Will. So I suppose for the first uh, question, um, I just want to talk about your, your appointment as uh, Australia's High Commissioner to Singapore, which came in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. What was that like for you? Uh, look, to be honest, very challenging um, for me and my family. In, in the height of, of the global pandemic and the global lockdown, uh, there was great uncertainty around the full impact, the duration of the pandemic. Uh, we were leaving our home, our family and friends um, through empty airports and on empty airplanes. Uh, but there was also immense excitement at the extraordinary opportunity and the privilege to be appointed to what is a very critical foreign service post uh, for Australia, uh, for me to embark on, on a new career, uh, but also to, to live in a wonderful place, Singapore. So there was an intensity of mixed feelings, I have to say, but I wanted to challenge myself. Um, I've always wanted to seize opportunity, not later regretting what might have happened if I'd done it. I wanted to do it. And and I certainly um, love my time in Singapore. I don't regret a minute of it, but it was on occasions very challenging personally. Uh, is there, maybe you wish to be a bit more specific there, because of course it was a very uh, you know, stressful period for I think all of us. Um, so maybe you want to give a specific example of you know, how you managed to stay motivated and energized as a leader? Yeah, well, well that was challenging as well, because there was a lot of, um, you know, personal commitments, um, stress, anxiety that we all felt at this uncertain time. Um, and that included not only for us in a personal context, but also in the workplace. Um, none of us had really been through anything quite like this. I know that people in Singapore and Southeast Asia have, have experienced pandemics in the past, but I don't think anything quite like this. Um, for many people, um, Australians wanting to return home, it was virtually impossible to do so. Uh, so the pandemic um, tested our resolve in our workplace. I was determined that we would 
um, adopt and adapt uh, and pivot to uh, new ways of doing business. Um, it was a time to shift to a new, more practical outcomes focused agenda with a degree of urgency. So supporting our governments um, and their health agencies in developing an effective health response, for instance, um, exchanging vaccines, um, opening up travel lanes and supporting our governments to develop the technology and the systems to allow that to happen safely. Um, engaging with our expat and business community in Singapore, which felt a little dislocated from their home in Australia. Uh, we did that on digital platforms in other ways because face-to-face -face contact was impossible virtually. So this is not the normal business or way of operating for diplomats, but I felt by doing this uh, and by also importantly investing in mental health and well-being in our workplace, taking the time uh, to reset how we engage, how we interact and to place that as a priority. It wasn't undervalued previously, but this gave us additional opportunity and also emphasis. Um, that were some of the key things we did. And it gave us a new sense of purpose um, with some very positive impacts in those areas that I've spoken about uh, that kept us uh, energised and motivated. Yeah, real kudos uh, to you, Will, and the team uh, did a really remarkable uh, job, I must say. Just want to pick off that point you mentioned about uh, adapting and pivoting. Um, I mean, you were also previously the 45th Premier of Tasmania, um, and you've also held various ministerial uh, positions. So over the course uh, of your career in politics, um, how do you balance the needs and interests of uh, different people and I suppose adapt and, and pivot, you know, uh, as necessary, you know, when making decisions as a leader? Yeah, look, I think it's really important to do that. Um, sometimes leaders can forget, particularly in a political context um, and in a very fast-moving and demanding occupation, it's critical to just take time to step back and listen to other perspectives. I believe that good, good leadership requires a fair degree of compromise. Um, I'm typically pragmatic and, and I often ask, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Um, so a willingness to listen, uh, to think through different perspectives, to weigh it all up is very, very important in public leadership roles, any leadership roles. Then be clear in your decision um, and articulating and communicating why you've taken that. It won't be universally popular, but I think if you explain the reasons for doing it and the vision of purpose that you have, then that will often increase levels of, of support or at least respect for, for what you're doing. And, and how would you say, Will, that uh, your perspective on leadership has uh, evolved you know, over the course of uh, your career? Yeah, and it has. Um, and I, I readily acknowledge that. Um, it's important uh, to accept shortcomings in leadership roles. Mine have been very public. Um, where there's often very little tolerance for imperfection or you know, perceived inadequacies. Um, there's a lot of scrutiny, intense scrutiny. And um, as I say, people often perhaps have, have unrealistic expectations of their political leaders. So to, to put that to one side or not be distracted by that is important. And to be comfortable, for instance, um, in that compromise isn't a sign of weakness in leadership. Rather, I think it is critical to political leadership. And I became comfortable with that. And I also became more confident in delegating as well. I think 
a risk for leaders is to feel um, that they have to do it all and that they're ultimately responsible, which may have some truth to it. But uh, if you have a good team, a willingness to just allow your team to delegate again in the political arena, often that can be criticised for being too hands off. Uh, but yeah. I firmly believe in the strength of a team and um, allowing it to do its job. And um, also, I, I think all leaders need to be mindful of changing community expectations and obligations that we have to build more inclusive, um, more, you know, embracing of diversity workplaces um, to, and we've been through a very difficult time where that was increasingly important um, to be mindful of, of your team. And that requires perhaps a lot more investment now um, than ever before. So constantly learning, constantly testing our methods uh, because there are always ways you can improve. And do you think uh, COVID has had an impact on, on that uh, evolution of, of, of leadership? Because of course, we had to switch to online platforms, then after that hybrid, and now coming back to the workplace, of course, some people don't wish to come back, they're comfortable working from home. So how do you think that has impacted leadership? Yeah, look, it has completely reshaped the way that, that we work. Um, so governments and businesses have responded by adapting uh, more contemporary arrangements for their employees. Um, it's, it is a difficult balance as well, but we have to accept that this is, this is the new normal. Um, it will probably most certainly happen again in some form. Um, so just the... Scary indeed. <laughs> indeed, but the, the yeah. willingness, um, and I think, you know, the relative success that, uh, that countries, particularly Australia and Singapore, can point to for successfully navigating um, a most difficult period for our citizens, for our economies and for our relationship. We were able to um, surpass expectations perhaps, but also achieve a lot more than we could have ever imagined. Uh, because we were prepared to perhaps be a little bolder, uh, to be a little less yep. risk averse, which often comes with governments. And I think that's a key lesson as well from, from the pandemic experience. Thanks so much for that, Will. And I think great advice for our listeners here. Um, so shifting to a slightly different uh, topic. So you stayed in Singapore uh, for over two years prior to returning to Australia. So what do you miss the most about Singapore? Oh, there's a lot. Uh, the food, <laughs> of course. Uh, great and white food. food. Great <laughs> food, food in, in Australia, great produce, but yeah. uh, Singapore food is incredible. Um, the quality of life, the, the vibrancy of the dynamic um, city-state, which has a rich multicultural flavour coursing uh, through its veins. I was fascinated by that. Um, but most of all, it's people, I think. You know, I found it to be yeah. very friendly, welcoming, engaging, and, and yeah. interested. Um, and one thing I, I have noticed, I, I don't see as many amazing sports cars um, on the streets of Australia. <laughs> Great. You know how much I like cars. I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just curious. So what's your favourite food here in Singapore? I was often asked that, and perhaps from my political um, pedigree, I, I was always hedging my bets because I honestly couldn't choose between the magnificent Chinese, Malaysian, Indian, Puranic, yeah, amazing. we love. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think, you know, amongst, if I had to pick a dish, and this will probably surprise many, um, we did love our Puranican food, but there was something special about enjoying uh, a Prata curry on a Sunday 
in yep. one of the many Prada houses around the island, which Nikki and I were very keen to explore. <laughs> and that was something I hadn't really experienced before. So I love that. Fantastic. Um, so in, in, in this day and age, of course, uh, there's a huge focus on uh, sustainability. And uh, you have expressed uh, a real interest in a net uh, zero future. Uh, so what is it about this idea that most excites you? Yeah, and I, I, I come from um, the island state of Tasmania, which uh, is renowned for its environmental magnificence, its commitment to sustainability, its abundant resources, and um, what has become the renewable energy state of Australia. Um, I was fortunate enough to lead the government of Tasmania. So inherently, um, in my upbringing, not only as a person, but in my roles in government, uh, we had to continue to not only value that status, but invest in it. Um, so it's become a passion of mine, environmental sustainability. And you know, I'm very proud that in my term as Premier of Tasmania, we achieved um, zero net emissions way back in 2016, decades yeah. in advance of yeah. what we were scheduled to. Tasmania is now well over 100% uh, renewable energy um, generators. So we're... It's a remarkable place, um, but addressing climate change is, of yeah. course, a global issue. Um, yep. And I think one of the more positive aspects of what is an alarming challenge that we're all facing and confronting is the opportunity for enterprise, uh, for research and yep. development, education, yep. yeah, of course. but also yep. business and industry to be participating in what is a rapidly expanding green economy. And in my last role in government as High Commissioner in Singapore. Um, it was fantastic to be to be part of a team that helped facilitate the striking of the world's first green economy. Agreement. Yeah, that was amazing, Will. Yeah. It was. And uh, I think that that showed um, not only the, the level of connection between our countries, uh, but also the prior, priority to sustainability and also enterprise um, developing and progressing contemporaneously. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was reading about how uh, Tasmania achieved uh, net zero, you know, decades uh, ahead of, uh, of, of the actual target. Uh, maybe can you delve a bit more into that? How, how did you manage to, to do that? Because that's just a, literally quite amazing. Yeah, and it has been the result of um, a generational investment in renewable energy infrastructure. Right. Uh, Tasmania has, I think, three of Australia's largest uh, top five dams um, yep. in yep. in the in the nation. Um, enormous investment in hydro, hydro power, but also wind power. Uh, my government increased our capacity. Uh, we also implemented a a very active um, climate change plan that engaged business, um, the non government sector, to help improve energy efficiency, um, to reduce emissions across other sectors where Tasmania. Um, has, has a strong footprint in agriculture and fisheries, most notably. Um, and we are able to not only generate more renewable energy supply, but to export that into the national electricity market, into Australia's energy grid. Um, so that um, gives Tasmania an enormous financial benefit as well. Um, and where the Tasmanian government now is planning to increase that capability too. So there are some environmental 
um, competitive advantages Tasmania has with its magnificent mountains, um, its incredible forest estate, uh, around 40% of Tasmania's world heritage or national park. So we have this amazing um, carbon sink of, um, of world heritage and national park forest estate. Uh, but it also required a lot of effort by government to, to capitalise on that. And I was very proud that one of few jurisdictions in the world where we're not only zero net emissions, as you say, some years ago, but also yep. well over 100% renewable wow. now. So it does show that it yep. can be done and it, it should be done as a, as a motivation to other countries to, to do what they can. Well, what advice would you like to give other countries? Because everyone's trying to strive to achieve this, uh, this goal. Any, any specific advice? Yeah, and countries obviously differ. I mean, the, the yeah, of course. experience I had in Singapore yeah. where there's very little um, capacity for, for your country to generate yeah. renewable yeah. energy, but there are other ways to, I think, um, best deliver outcomes by working in partnership. And the Green Economy yeah. Agreement between Australia and Singapore is a world first. It's a, a groundbreaking pathfinder for yep. other nations to be engaged and for Australia to play its role as we are doing in Southeast Asia more broadly. And the green economy agreement between our countries anticipates a more regional footprint. So I think that's a really powerful way where our nations can support other countries where you know, they're perhaps less developed or advanced in their technical capability, uh, but have natural resources that can support, um, as it has happened in Tasmania, um, uh, you know, greater exporting of renewable energy into um, into our region. You mentioned, Will, about uh, industry in, in context of all of this. So how does this, uh, your all your experience in this space translate to your new role at uh, Trovio Group? Yeah, and I was really thrilled um, as I embark on a new career in the private sector, um, offering strategic advice to businesses where I'll have a passion, but where also um, I see enormous opportunity, not only for that business, but in those areas where I do have a passion in sustainability, uh, in our, our effort to reduce emissions and to address climate change, but also for Australian or Singaporean businesses to be at the cutting edge um, as Trovio is of yep. digital um, and technological enterprise. And, and that's exciting as well because Australia and Singapore also have what was a groundbreaking digital economy. <laughs> of course. So there's a really neat <laughs> yeah. intersection yeah. for me here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think it's fantastic to see a business like Trovio um, who are developing extraordinarily innovative products and solutions to facilitate what is the rapidly changing digital and green economies, to see them um, operationalise government agreements like our green economy and digital yes. economy agreements, yep. I think will be the key to their success. But it's what they're about because enterprise and innovation and Australia and Singapore do these things so well, as do our our organisations and institutions that um, have at their heart research, development, science and technology. Um, we have great institutions in both our countries that will also benefit. So you know, I'm delighted to, to be involved with Travio. Um, they're a multifaceted, multifaceted business, um, not only with an eye on improving commercial enterprise and trade investment between businesses and, and indeed countries, uh, but also to doing its bit to 
um, improve and enhance sustainability and, and our practices. It's, it's a very exciting place to be and I'm really enjoying working with what are a dynamic, um, very forward-leaning, innovative bunch. Very happy for you, Will. Um, so coming back to the topic of uh, leadership, so apart from sustainability, what do you see as the other big challenges uh, facing leaders today? Um, and, and how do you think those challenges can be addressed? Yeah, and there's so many different contexts, of course, of, of leadership. But I think yeah. of, yep. um, where I've most recently been in government roles for close to 20 years, um, you know, there are some very high level global um, trends which are concerning to leadership um, and which are causing tensions across the world. Yeah. Um, the rise of populism, for instance, the increase of protectionism. Yeah. Uh, these things were not helped by the pandemic either. I think it exacerbated um, what are perhaps not new, but have become increasingly pronounced uh, themes and, and tones across um, our global environment. So to address that, again, I'm a firm believer in the need for, for governments to work collaboratively, uh, large and small, importantly, um, for multilateralism as well. Um, and I was, you know, really energised by the relationship between Australia and Singapore and the leadership roles that our nations can play. They're very influential roles in addressing these issues. Uh, but, you know, at a more micro level, um, I think, and we've alluded to the, the shifts in, in how business and organisations operate, the move to the digital online interactions, um, the, the difficulty, I suppose, or the increased inability to, to you know, perhaps travel as freely as we might have um, or to engage as often as we can face-to-face -face has become a challenge. And we're now starting to see that, you know, the workplace has reshifted its, its focus and its style of operation, I think, for for leaders in the workplace um, or in an organisation to adapt to that is going to be a, an ongoing challenge to keep people engaged. And that includes through education institutions. Yeah. And you know this a yeah. lot better than me with a lot of your students no longer on yeah. campus. Yeah. How do we keep people That's right. engaged? Yeah, fantastic. And uh, one final question, uh, and that is if you were able to tra travel back in time, uh, what advice would you give your younger, let's say, 21-year-old self? Yeah, probably that'd be a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that comes with, with life and experience. And I don't yeah. say that with any sense of regret. But, of course, I would do things quite a bit differently. But that's the benefit of hindsight and, and age. Um, but when I left for Singapore, um, I often reflected on the fine, poignant words of, uh, of Mark Twain where he said something to the effect of, you know, if you look back in 20 years, um, you'll be more disappointed about the things that you didn't do than, than what ah, you did. Yes. So he says, just be brave, be courageous, yeah. um, sail away, or in my case, fly away from the safe harbour of Tasmania to, to Singapore and and just explore, dream, be brave, and you'll discover amazing things. And I think, you know, when I was 21, I perhaps didn't have the confidence um, or even just the, the foresight, the vision to, to believe that. Um, but I now do. And importantly as well, I'd say to my 21-year-old self, it is never too late. So even at 53, 
you can still keep doing that. Yeah. Very wise words uh, to basically conclude uh, this, this session and wonderful discussion. Will, really great uh, catching up with you and, and thank you so much for uh, taking the time and, and joining us. Um, and just one final thing, where, where can li listeners find you online so that they can connect with you? I think the best way, and um, I'm across several social media platforms, but I reckon the best way is through my LinkedIn account. Um, yep. And I do try and respond to messages as much as I can, but um, I, I'm increasingly engaged through LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Will. Thanks, everyone. Best wishes to the, the fantastic team at JCU. I loved working with you in Singapore too. Great. Thanks so much.